This is Coda Radio, episode 524 for June 26, 2023. Hey friend, welcome in to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. Taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the whole dang world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining me in his brand new Batcave, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. Hello, handsome. So, you're out and about. I was out and about. We're gathered together finally. I missed you. You know, it's been like two weeks or a week. It's been I don't two know. weeks. It's I been, moved. Oof. New place. Yeah. A new place, and I'm in a white room with like nothing in it. I call it my Johnny Ive space. <laughs> you do sound like you're in the Ive space. <laughs> yeah, so I apologize for the echo. It should be fixed next week. <laughs> well, I know how it goes when you're moving, new setup, and all that kind of stuff. It's just good. Yep. It's good to be here so that way we can discuss the extremely important matters of the day, like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg supposedly getting in some sort of jujitsu cage match in Vegas. That is just the dumbest thing Musk could do. I mean, can we just dive right in? This is real dumb. Uh, so first off, apparently the Zuck is quite the jujitsu ninja or whatever, but also he's a freaking Cylon. Yeah. No pain, metallic bones, doesn't care if he kills you. He likes to hunt his own meat, eat it raw and smoke it. And you can find videos of him taking down dudes like Lex Friedman in two seconds on the internet. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have a deep freezer full of musk meat pretty soon, <laughs> yeah. if, if, but... So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, The financial press uh, and the tech press uh, are kind of framing this as like a war of viewpoints and a war over two AI giants. And, you know, it's a Tesla versus meta battle. I I just find that framing so stupid. Um, It seems to me obvious that what's really got Musk pissed off is that old smoke and meat Zuck here has figured out that. Twitter has pissed off half the country. It's pissed off a ton of advertisers. They have Instagram. They could tightly integrate Instagram with a Twitter clone that's friendly to the other half of the population that Elon Musk is pissed off and probably more brand safe and probably get up and going with the Instagram integration pretty quick. It's sort of silly they haven't done it so far. And I think that's what this feud's about. The fact that that's about to be released, not not some stupid like AI giant battle that CNBC's talking about. Yeah, well, and you, you know, there's going to be a lot of uptake for that product just by virtue of Instagram existing. And yeah, there's a lot of disaffected Twitter users. I mean, I, I'm kind of amazed at how quickly this Twitter situation has kind of devolved. Although, again, when you start at $42 billion, it really, <laughs> you're just starting from a horrible position. Well, you don't want it to be the everything app where you have payments integrated for stuff and you don't want to do You know, that. it's... I, I get it. The The dream of China lives in all of us, but I just don't see that happening here. I mean, so for our European listeners, do you know how much of a pain in the ass and expensive it is to electronically send someone money to the U.S. banking system? It's uh, quite annoying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everybody's trying to come up with some sort of solution. And expensive. Yeah, I think this would be a this would be a brilliant marketing move for Zuck because he would take down uh, Elon in a hot second, and everybody would then find out about his platform. It would be a fantastic new promotion for his Twitter clone. Yes, his his first uh, so far the, I think it's going to be called Threads. His first thread will be just him literally flipping Elon over. That's it. <laughs> yes, that you know he's posing it there. If you want to see the video, go watch it on Threads. The the ten second video, yes. I don't know if it'll do very good, though. I have to be honest with you. I know people hate to hear it when I go on this, but uh, experience has taught me that the Internet views censorship as damage and routes around it. Yeah, I just I just feel like the days of these social media platforms are kind of. Yeah, they had their time. Yeah. And they're not going to go away. But let's let's park that because I have a I have some data down below about Mastodon adoption waning, which I think we should talk about, which could tie into that and Reddit, too. But um Eureka wanted to send in an email with some additional red flags. You remember the email we got last time we we recorded about uh, the lad that was uh, going to potentially rewrite the billing software for a sausage factory in Germany, and yes, he yes, was yes. concerned about taking the job. Um, and uh, Eureka points out that the shop is opting for, I guess, what you could call a boutique option, you know, something really custom, but they want the cheapest possible execution. And they want to use a single student to build it. He says that right there, massive red flag. 
And because the project is related to bill, billing, which is critical, it has to be done carefully, so there's a lot of pressure. And if they've been using a manual billing system for years and they have their own practices and quirks, it's going to have to be replicated in whatever he builds, and that's going to be challenging and a lot of fiddling, which is a red flag. And if they insist on using a low-code platform, it suggests that they also want to be able to just replace the developer really easily, make the developer disposable, red flag, he says. Um, and as a junior student developer, you're probably not going to have any sway in the decision-making process, which could lead to a lot of frustration. So he just says it's red flags all over the place. And it's a lot of things you have to think about. You know, it's a great, it, well, that was a great perspective is, you know, that inability to be involved in the decision-making process, yet being responsible for the product, that happens to developers all the time. And it's so frustrating. It's so life-sucking. Yeah, that's it's a tough situation. And and I could definitely see the other side too, because when you're young and starting out, it's kind of hard to get ideal gigs. So it's, I would definitely avoid the no-code thing. That's probably just going to lead to future heartache. <laughs> Do you think companies like the Sausage Factory could be um, clever enough to connect low code means easy to replace developer? Or is that, do you think, beyond their grasp? I mean, there's always the dream that, you know, the, the business types will be able to do their own integrations, right? Yeah, uh, just ask yeah. ChatGPT, right? Just Well, right. Well, or even something like Airtable, mm -hmm. which is yeah. probably more, more up the alley of what these folks think. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I have to say, when I was starting out, I took some really shitty jobs. Yeah, there is that. Boy, that's good. I could, but Eric really made me think the more, more thought about it. Oh, no, fair point. Yeah. Yeah. You really have to have some conditionals going into a situation. I bet people out there have some experience with this. If you'd like to share it with us, coder.show slash contact. Also, we'd like you to boost in your hot take on why you will or will not be buying the Apple Vision Pro. Mm. Uh, Coder is going to be running lean on ads for just a little bit, hopefully, but uh, we're hoping to incentivize support with memberships and boosts. And so one way to uh, support the show is by boosting in. You can go to getalby.com, you get the Albi extension, then you go to the podcast index, find Coder Radio and you boost there or get a new podcast app, newpodcastapps.com. And let us know, will you or will you not be getting the Vision Pro and why? Because Mike and I poked around, looked at the SDK, which Apple released in the last week. And the idea is that you can use a simulator and, you know, all the tools you need to start creating the apps for the headset so that when it ships and whenever, 2024, there'll be some apps ready to go. So you got to have Xcode 15 beta 2, you got to have a Mac, and you got to have like the simulator stuff that can run. I poked around at it. I don't know. I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, run, I don't want to run away with this one. I want to let you start. So I'm curious to just know your high level takeaways when you're looking at the presentation to the developers, you're looking at this SDK. I'm curious what your first observations are. I sort of feel like there's an opportunity for like really native apps, like not the iPad port thing. Um, I was intrigued to see that Omni that you put in our notes this morning, Omni is going to port some stuff over. Yeah, Omni Graffle, they're working on it and they're claiming they're going to try to have it ready by the time the Vision Pro ships. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in Omni Graffle. So anytime I write a proposal, if it's something like, you know, Alice, moving data, blah, 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 translations, I usually have at least a UML diagram here or there. I could see that being cool. You know, I keep going back and forth on the price. I will say I did take some time looking at the SDK, and I'm pretty impressed. And it's almost, with hindsight, it's like they were boiling the frog, right, with Reality Composer, their tool for creating uh, visually 3D models with Reality Kit. Even Swift UI is kind of nicely positioned for this. Oh, and also, if you're, like many folks, using Unity for this kind of thing, that will work. Although I imagine the native stuff will be kind of the higher end. I was surprised by the top billing Unity actually gets in Apple's documentation. It's like they 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 list Apple's frameworks, like you were mentioning, mm -hmm. Swift UI, Reality Kit, and then right next to it, uh, you know, Xcode, Reality Composer, boom, Unity. Just right there is like one of the three recommended tools you need to get started. Well, uh, one, they hate Epic, yeah, right? obviously. So no one real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and two, Unity is actually pretty... So if you've ever dealt with their sales guys, that will sell you it for games for sure. They still love that. But they've been aggressively pushing into these more enterprise use cases. I agree. I agree. I just think it does. Watching Apple for 30 years, 
there's certain things that are key tells and putting unity at, on a top billing right next to reality composer pro and xcode putting it next to apple's coveted tools that they've created is i think a signal to me that apple is really serious about getting apps on this platform from third-party developers I actually wish it wasn't Unity myself, but I total. I wish it was Unity, and I wish we could have Unreal. I wish we could have both. Yeah, it's not. It's, you're, you're not going to get Nvidia either. So I honestly think this is a tell about how serious Apple is about getting apps on this platform. Just, sorry to disrail, derail, but I, no, I no, think there's a signal there. Just the amount of information they've basically opened the kimono on the development story pretty pretty substantially, and that is not like them right. to say the least on right. a release product. Yeah. Yeah, you really get a sense of what this thing can and can't do. Um, so, I, you know, I was a little disappointed. The OmniGraffle one is a great ex- uh, example of this. Kind of seems like the sizing in order to read everything and whatnot. You're not really fitting more than two or three screens on this thing at a time. Right? Like everybody's talking about having eight screens and all this kind of stuff. But if you want to actually interact with the app and use it, like in the OmniGraffle screenshot, which we'll have linked in the show notes on their blog post, they have the apps at a slant and one app kind of at the bottom of the screen that's even cut off. You can't even fit the whole app on the screen. It's not nearly as much real estate. And it's not just this screenshot. It's all the screenshots in the SDK. They really only show two or three windows fitting on the screen at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, again, this is definitely the introductory, you know, learn the tech product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I remember how kind of crappy that first, you know, two iPhones and the iPad was, right? Yeah, and the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch was terrible. I mean, maybe the Apple Watch, if you're right, is the better the better use case. The battery limitations on this, I think, are going to be more annoying than Apple's let on. Perhaps. Yeah, I think, though, there's going to be a third-party market that'll address that pretty quick. You know, it's potentially never going away. I've been thinking about the cord. You know what? What do we all think this is going to end up being? We all think inevitably this is going to end up being a pair of glasses. You know, wouldn't it? We all wanted Apple Ray-Bans that do all this with Ray-Bans and they don't look goofy. I don't think physics is going to allow, at least in our lifetime, something like that in a pair of Ray-Bans unless the compute is in your pocket. Now, it could be wirelessly to your iPhone or it could be on a cord to this little brick. And maybe over time, that little brick isn't just the battery, but maybe it's also like an A18 processor and or maybe it's maybe it's like an M3 or M4. Right. It's it's they could start moving I.O. ports. They could put USB-C. They could put SD card readers in that thing. They can they can put so much compute in that little brick if they just have one high speed wire and they can make the headset itself smaller and smaller and smaller. Inevitably, they'll be able to go wireless. But keeping that rat tail lets them move more aggressively. And I don't know, maybe I maybe the trade-off will be worth it. We'll see, obviously. But if a, an external battery pack means that I can now go get an anchor battery that's big and fat and heavy and have six hours of battery life, well, I was never, ever going to have that option if they built the battery into the headset. Hmm. Yeah, they, they're just not there yet. Yeah, they're not there yet. Yeah. Um, the apps going through the SDK, I had this weird sensation and I wondered if you experienced this at all too. It felt a lot less magical to me, but yet it seemed a lot more realistic and achievable at the same time. Like seeing it in the keynote, it just seems so incredibly impossible. But when you see how they have it designed and you see it in the SDK and you see it in the simulator, you realize, oh, this is like just a new window manager. Hmm. Which is good and bad, right? Like it seems actually achievable. Whereas before it seemed so magical I couldn't even concept conceptualize how they were accomplishing all this. Now that I can see the limitations a little bit and I can see how you interact with the elements, I get it. It it actually seems like people are gonna be able to build apps for this. Yeah, I, I think it's really gonna also depend on how awkward are those hand gestures when you're using it. The first reviews say they're pretty slick. Well, it could be pretty slick. I mean I you know I would be shocked if we don't get some, even though Apple's not pushing the gaming thing. In fact, they seem to be kind of pushing away from it. But man, I mean, the lightsaber fighting thing on the Oculus was cool. It's the best thing. Right. Something on this would probably be orders of magnitude better. You know, there are certain apps that will just never make it. Uh, No photography applications, no video applications will be Mm -hmm. allowed 
on the Vision Pro. No apps that support precise location services. You're just going to get like the standard general location API. Uh, very limited access to accelerometers and gyroscopes. No access to the pedometer or meganometer or barometers from what I can tell. No navigation apps will be allowed on the Vision Pro, which I get it, but this is a $3,500 device. If somebody wants to experiment with a badass AR overlay for maps, I feel like they should, they should be able to do that. Um, and uh, apps that track body movements, which seems like that would be a crap ton of exercise apps that would be applicable for this thing. Those will not be allowed on the Vision Pro. Plus then, of course, all the standard App Store rules that apply to all iOS devices. I don't know, man. $3,500 device. This thing looks pretty locked down. Uh, yeah, well, isn't this always the case with Apple? The, the potential of the hardware is hobbled by their, you know, strategy tax effectively. It feels, it feels worse than the iPad effect, potentially. Mm. The only thing saving grace is that you can run multiple windows with this thing. But you have like all of the restrict, all the restrictions of the iPad platform, plus these new things like the Apple camera app can use the cameras to take creepy dad pictures. Well, I honestly, I honestly think there would be a user base that would like to create content, maybe even 3D content for other Vision Pro users. And they'd like to have a more professional camera app. We see this all the time. There's so many pro camera apps in the app store. And some of them genuinely do give you really, really great options. I mean, there was some in the early days of the app store, like some of the biggest apps were just like better camera apps. And I think maybe that's, you know, it was like Insta camera or something. I can't remember. It was one of the Instas. Yeah, there was like Hipstamatic. Remember? Yeah, there was a ton of them. And now this thing has all these cameras. It has the ability to create 3D content. I wouldn't want to walk around recording the video, but I could see a serious enthusiast filmmaker wanting to make a name for themselves with something new, strapping this thing on and going, you know, recording around. And then typically you'd see like Apple would feature in a keynote and say, this was shot on Apple Vision Pro. But no, none of that. I think it's, and I think, I think the the body tracking movement stuff, which I think is a big miss for fitness. And I think the navigation app limitation, and I think the camera app limitation has nothing to do with anything except for Apple trying to prevent a bad PR image that the Google Glass got with the camera on the front of it. Everybody just thought of the Google Glass as a walking camera that takes your picture. And I think they don't want that reputation for the Vision Pro. They're they're avoiding all these kinds of pitfalls, like Tim Cook wearing the headset and becoming a meme. They've avoided that. And I think they're going to avoid a certain class of apps. They're going to limit a $3,500 brand new nascent platform that's beginning of spatial computing that's going to be a whole new era of devices is basically being smothered in the cradle because they're worried about memes. I, I, I'm not that pessimistic. I, I, I just, I'm hoping that it's not just going to be porting existing experiences and use cases to your face. Um, I'm hoping we get some innovative stuff. Now, having said that, I am racking my brain trying to find something useful. So, you know, there is yeah. that. Yeah. And I grant you... Over time, they'll probably open up like the cameras. They'll stuff. have to chill out. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's always been their move. But it's so obnoxious. And it, you know, it just sort of seems avoidable. But whatever. Um, I think on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's it appears that Safari is a full-fledged VR machine and will support the standard WebXR. Oh no. <laughs> which means, you know, VR web content on a web page, mm. any web page will be usable in the Apple Vision Pro headset, including porn, which, you know, is kind of going to matter. So they may not allow it through the App Store, but they're going to support the WebXR standard. VHS learned that lesson a long time ago. Also, Apple hired uh, Ada Rose Cannon a year ago, and I wasn't familiar with her before this came out, but she is the co-chair of the W3C Immersive Web Working Group that uh, is really pushing the W or I'm sorry, the WebXR standard. So they, they basically hired one of the key players in WebXR to come work for Apple too. I think they're pretty serious about it. So at least Safari has breathing room. I I hope it trickles down to proper Safari on iOS. Linode.com slash coder head on over there to get $100 and 60 day credit and check out the exciting news 
Linode's now part of Akamai. All the developer-friendly tools, including their cloud manager, their API, and the command line tool that help you build, deploy, and scale in the cloud, are, they're available. But now, they're combined with Akamai's power and global reach. They're expanding their services. They're offering more computing resources, more tools, and of course, doubling down on that reliable, affordable, and scalable solution that users and businesses of all sizes have learned to love from Linode. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, data centers will expand worldwide, giving you even more access to resources to help you grow your biz or your project, serve your customers, your friends, and your family. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode, now Akamai. Head on over to linode.com slash coder to learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help scale your applications from the cloud to the edge. This concludes Linode's long support of the Coder Radio program. So if you want to take advantage of that $100 offer, head on over there at linode.com slash coder. And a big, genuine thank you to Linode for their long-term support for the Coder Radio program. We thank them very much, and we thank everyone who's gone to linode.com slash coder. Well, there's a little drama around Phil Schiller, the old uh, Apple, I guess he's a fellow now. Uh, but of course, he's been there forever. And uh, he is the ultimate king of the App Store. We've talked about him many, many times on the show. And what we finally have is a little bit of the internal drama spill out into the public. A former colleague of Phil Schiller's named Philip Shoemaker has some serious hot goss. And he didn't hold back, which is very, very, very rare. Uh, this comes from mobilegamer.biz and others will cover this. We'll have a link in the show notes. He says the way to solve the inconsistency around the app store, and I hate to say it, is to take a page from Google, especially now with AI tools that are out there. You can probably do 80% of the work the review team does. But he says Schiller is against the idea. Any sort of automation that we tossed out was pushed back from management. Quote, I think the way to radically improve the app store is to have Phil be an Apple fellow and get his hands off the app store. Uh, maybe he's not a fellow yet. I don't know. I don't care. That's he goes on to say, that's why we really need to, that's what we really need to do. Eddie's more progressive. Jaws is more progressive. And we know Matt is as well. Phil just needs to get his meaty paws off the app store. If Phil doesn't step back, it absolutely will be the courts making the changes. Wow. That is some spicy hot goss right there. It is. Now, I, th I think we should take this with a grain of salt, right? It's been pretty widely reported that this dude left under some pretty uh, acrimonious terms. doesn't mean he's wrong, for sure. It doesn't, right? It's possible. But one statement that struck me was they don't do any kind of automation. Well, I know for a fact that's not true. They do. Um, in fact, every app that gets submitted, it does a number of cursory, well, and not so cursory, automated scans. The most obvious one is where they check if you're using private APIs, uh, particularly ones they really care about having you not use. Um, and they, you know, they check for, they have like, like any other software vendor, right? They have signatures of like known malware things, you know, things, they just have a database of it and they scan every, in fact, the, when you do the upload and export to bytecode, that gives them an even greater ability to do this kind of thing. So I, they do do some automation. It's not completely manual. Um, it, it is fair though, that. Yeah, I mean, how many years have I been moaning about the App Store, right? You submit an update and all of a sudden you're rejected. Go talk to David Hedemeyer Hansen. He'll tell you all about it, right? It, 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 it does at times feel uh, kind of arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been watching the journey of uh, a Nostra developer. He makes the most popular Nostra iOS client. And uh, Apple rejects his app. He makes a change after a phone call with them that seems arbitrary, but just to kind of like give Apple a win and, you know, make it so they were right all along. So he makes the change exactly like they asked him to make it, which is a degradation in what the app is capable of. But he, you know, he compromises. He resubmits the app exactly with the change as described by Apple and they reject it. Different, different group. Right. And it's the, for the same reason they rejected initially, even after the fix has been made. And it's this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, I saw it on, with another app recently where they got rejected, they get it, they appeal, and then they get accepted. And I see this kind of thing pretty common as well. And that type of stuff seems like, yeah, that probably needs more, if not straight up automation, streamlined process. And it's so frustrating for developers um, 
This also happened to the Fountain FM developers. It happens to all the, all the developers, really, but these are the ones I see. The Fountain FM guys had a bug that could lead to um, like excessive data usage or something like that. And um, they, they tracked it down within a day and uh, submitted a patch, you know, a few hours later because it was a pretty reasonable fix. And then I had to fight with the App Store for three days, which then drug over a weekend. So it <laughs> didn't really get resolved until the next week. And so, you know, extra data just got burned up for a little bit on these users' phones. That, and they had the fix ready to go, but they just had to like, first they had to get declined, then they had to arbitrate, and then they had to wait for the weekend, and then they had to get approved. And then they could put the patch out there. A quick fix that took them probably, you know, 16 hours total work from, from troubleshooting to fixing, testing, deploying. But then it took four or five days before they could get out to their users because the App Store process seems to be arbitrary and precocious. Well, this is uh, Jeff Atwood a number of years ago had a great article, uh, blog post, serving at the pleasure of the king, right? You could Google it. It's pr very popular. We covered it years ago. This is just, if you've been working in the Apple ecosystem long enough, this is, it really is like an old royal court. Um, you know who the shoemaker guy reminds me of? You know, everybody's got like, uh, you know, all these, these guys, these developers that are hot shots, they're hot takes on everything. Everything's garbage and whatnot. And, uh, they don't mesh at Apple. Yeah. Right. Like Apple will inevitably adopt things that make sense, but Apple is generally not the first. They generally watch, see what works and doesn't work. And then they implement a solution that kind of solves those problems uh, in a narrower set than like enthusiasts like myself tend to be totally happy with, but that's Apple's, that's Apple's MO. And so when you go to work for a company like that, but you're a hotshot, it's gotta be really frustrating because you think you're at the super, magical tech company but the reality is they're very conservative internally well that, that's exactly where i was going to go with this like having dealt with them for a number of years now even just like the day-to-day -day, you know dev relations and the kind of engineers doing the sessions and whatnot it, you know they're not like individually trying to be jerks to you right it's <laughs> yeah and it kind of makes sense where at apple they would rather not do something for another year than take a risk and have it blow up in their face. I mean, Apple Maps comes to mind pretty, pretty quickly, right? The whole Well, this Vision Pro, you know, it's, it's six to seven years possibly been cooking. And there was, we've seen reports of a lot of debate. This is one of their riskier gambles about shipping before they've really got it done. Yeah, this is, I, I am a little surprised, but I know we talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago that, it possibly because of all the hype AI and everything's getting, they needed something too. And neither of us have ever had this on our face, right? So who knows? We might try it at some point and say, oh my God, how, how can I phrase this? There are some things that are like obviously more high level business exec capricious than others, right? And, and all of that is like the rule 3.11, right? The, the in-app purchase stuff is pretty, pretty aggressive. But... I don't know. I if they change their ways, they're going to take a bunch of for things going on there that sh that probably shouldn't, especially given how they've branded the company and themselves. Like Apple couldn't run a wild wild west like the Google Play Store, and I know it's gotten better, but it's it's still pretty pretty rough. And there's a lot of crap on the App Store too. That's true. And when they've testified recently, they've they've argued that they're more human creation curation approach is part of the cost of running the app store. And it's part of the expense and why they need their 30% cut is because they go this extra mile that Google and others won't go. And they have more humans involved with the curation process. That's, they have argued that and, you know, they testified to such. Yeah. I mean that, I don't know. That's kind of like weak tea, right? That doesn't feel exactly. But it's part of their branding now, potentially too, you know? So if they automated this whole thing, it's not really, they can't really argue that, part of the value of the app store and the 30% Apple tax is this human curation. Well, I, I would almost say the only place where I've ever seen, uh, you know, their, their relations people be, you know, kind of more overtly prickish is the 30% stuff. And that's, I mean, we've, we've seen the testimony, right? There are probably going to be more court cases about this. That's just a strategy tax because they got to keep that baby going up and to the right. Got to have them services. So do you think Schumacher or Maker is right? It might be Mocker. Does Phil Schiller need to step back from the App Store, though? Because that he has been the underlying kind of stick in the mud. But then again, no other App Store on the planet touches 
the revenue that pumps through Apple's app store. Nothing. And, it, and, and it's, it's kind of that fallacy of the one Uber mensch again, though, too, that Phil Schiller. I mean, yeah, if you're Facebook, right, I'm sure he knows about what you're doing, with your app and you have maybe have a conversation. But there are, what, a thousand, a couple thousand people reviewing these apps. On the one hand, it seems like you can't lay everything on Phil Schiller's feet. And I don't know that the case that was made here is actually strong enough to say that on on the whole, what they've done is wrong. I mean, they've actually become more accepting than they used to be. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I distinctly remember a change in tone when Schiller took over. Yeah, I it, mean. It seemed well, to improve to some degree. Well, they hired more staff, right? And they, you know what? The appeals process in the early days was terrible. Yeah. It took forever. I mean, we now, complain an now, appeal but is it, like, yeah, it's like, so much better now. Horribly so. And a lot of the time they just say, okay, we understand, or they make you change something Mickey Mouse and give you an expedited review. Right. So it's, I would rather be in the app store now than in the app store of, you know, 20, 2011, 2010. Could it be better? Of course. But I look at things like the Fire Store, which is just awful. Google Play has gotten better, but it's, you know, the, the whole monetization situation over there. I'm sorry, Android users. It's just not as good. They also, they push so many garbage apps, not to be the hot take guy here for a second, but like, you know, I, I fired up from time to time on my Pizel 7 and, uh, you know, not very curated. It really, there is a difference. It's like if I fire up the app store, I can find an app I want to try in 30 seconds. I fire up the play store. I usually bail without installing anything. Yeah, but there are still things that suck, right? Apple Arcade is just bad. I mean, and I think they fundamentally don't get game companies and gaming. And So you'd vote keep Schiller, sounds like. I would vote it doesn't matter. Like, it's it's just a fallacy. Um, I don't know. I mean, what does an Apple fellow do anyway? It is like meditating on the ghost of Steve Jobs. I mean, really. That must be part of the team they send out to pick the new Mac OS name every year. Oh, my. <laughs> it, it does make sense, given the places they seem to like to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think I agree with you. I think I was actually kind of on the it's time for Schiller to go train when we started. But, you know, going down memory lane, I think you're right. I, I And I think really what you have here is just a difference in opinion on how to do something. And Schumacher might just be happier over at the old Googs or something. <laughs> well, he, he's it's not like he's doing nothing. He's um, I forgot the name of the but he's doing a pretty fancy startup and he's done other things. I mean, it, it, it's totally possible for just an organization and an individual to be a bad fit. Like, I don't think I could ever work for Apple. Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there for a free personal account for up to 100 devices. It's also a great way to support the show while you're checking out Tailscale a mesh VPN that you can get set up and running on your devices in just minutes. It's protected by WireGuard's noise protocol, and it creates a flat, secure network between each of your nodes, and they can talk directly to each other. doesn't matter if you're behind double carrier grade NAT. You can be in a container. You can be in a VPS. You can be on your LAN. Tailscale brings it all together, including your mobile devices, and then layers on a whole suite of tools and a nice management UI to make it unbelievably easy to build the best network tooling you've ever seen. I use Tailscale extensively to manage all of my devices across multiple buildings. And of course, all my mobile syncing is done over Tailscale and all my family support is done over Tailscale. Things like Nextcloud and Jellyfin, they're not even on the public internet anymore. They're only on my Tailscale. And we hear stories from listeners all the time that write in about how they use Tailscale for testing for something at work or something at home or on their laptop and bring everything together. You can quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, your computers, and cloud instances, even when separated by firewalls and carrier-grade NAT. I can testify it even works over Starlink. So go check it out and get it for free for up to 100 devices. That's not a limited-time deal. That's just how brilliantly they've architected their network. They can offer that to you. They're really sharp over there, and you're going to love it. Go support the show and try it for free for up to 100 devices. Tailscale.com slash coder. All right, so uh, Daring Fireball's John Gruber, amongst others, is declaring the Mastodon adoption stalled. Hashtag Twitter migration fail. And um, an author that, um, let's see, do I have their name here? I may, I'm, it's Monday. It's, it's truly a Monday for me. But it's like Cafe Laban is the blog. Um, they, were t they, they wrote about their journey about leaving Twitter and trying to find a Mastodon instance that worked for them. But ultimately, it didn't stick because Mastodon just 
didn't have the same features they were used to with Twitter. The fragmentation of different Mastodon instances made it difficult to find who to follow and where. And a lack of marketing meant that uh, a lot of potential users haven't found it. And some Mastodon users seem to be really ideological. Like some instances, they just were a turnoff for this individual. And they had a little interesting bit of data. They recently shut down their Mastodon instance that they started in November at mastodon.balloonface.com sent out 700,000 kill messages to inform other instances that it had federated with that it was going offline for good. And then to just go ahead and delete all records from the other servers' databases. And around 25% of those were returned undeliverable because the instances had simply already dropped offline. 25%. I've taken a stab at Mastodon since it was brand new. I mean, I found found like a 10-year-old account recently or something like that. and it's never stuck for me until I joined the podcasting to the community and that because it's focused on podcasting and the 2.0 general like goings ons, I find it works really well for me because I just keep it on topic over there. Pretty much everybody does. And I just go there to just, you know, see what's going on, but I don't engage in Mastodon like I engaged in Twitter and I can feel this is beginning to happen with Reddit and Lemmy. Lemmy's got some stuff. But it's just no Reddit. And I find myself less and less interested in using Reddit, just like I find myself less and less interested in using social media in general. And I wonder if the Mastodon stalling is just people opting out of social media in general. Although I guess Twitter's numbers are better than ever, according to Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what numbers you're looking at. Like ad revenue? Yeesh. What do you think, though? Why is Mastodon stalling out? Let's assume the premise is correct. Right. Why? And I, I have definitely noticed a couple of arbitrary data points. Sorry. A couple of arbitrary data points. I, I was getting, you know, daily requests. Chris, what's your Mastodon? Chris, what's your Mastodon? I haven't been asked that in weeks. You know, I just don't. People don't ask me anymore. And maybe it's just because I've told enough people I'm not really doing it. Or maybe it's because people are no longer really switching. So they're not looking for folks to follow. I guess, you know, I I think kind of uh, one of your comments really hit my situation in that I'm just, you know, it, it was too hard to maintain both. And just the last couple of weeks have been crazy. I I'm kind of happy not being on the socials too much. Like I literally checked it this morning for the first time in over a week. It was fine. You know, there were some people listening to the show I either liked or replied or whatever, but it, I think I'm happy without it. Like if I'm going to chat, I'd rather hang out in Discord or the element room. This would be something else I'd like people to boost in about. Rotted Mood says, I'm pretty worn out on social media, but I've stuck with Mastodon. I haven't gone yep. back to Twitter. Lemmy, I'm finding harder. Have you checked out Lemmy at all? Are you familiar with this? I have not. Yeah. So this is a federated Reddit replacement. It's actually been in development for years. It was one of those projects that was kind of like ready to go at the right time, at the right moment, you know, and it. It's a lot like Mastodon. There's you can run your own Lemmy instance. The back end is a lot more robust. Um, they learn from some of Mastodon's mistakes there. And you can essentially follow people across instances, but it has the Mastodon problem. I don't really know which instance I want to be part of. And I'm wondering, am I signaling by joining an instance that I'm, you know, that I reflect their values? And then the other question that I have is, is it because it's because it's so in, inherently dispersed? It never really has that town center effect where one arbitrary rando thing can go viral and millions of people see it because we're all in the same space. You can you kind of get that. You can boost across interest uh, instances and whatnot. You can retoot or whatever, but it just doesn't get the reach and you don't get the the pulse of what is going on right now in the world. What's the thing everybody's talking about? What you get is what those individual instances find important are talking about, but you don't get what's the entire world talking about. And I think people want to be on that world stage. They want to have an opportunity to talk to celebrities and to regular people if they're on social media. I don't know. And I, so I, I was always kind of skeptical of Mastodon because of its inherent isolation design. And I'm skeptical of Lemmy for the same reason, even though I'm a huge believer in decentralized technologies i just i don't know if this is it chief yeah it's funny my my use my so my primary use for twitter other than uh you know flame wars which it's been a while might have to rekindle that flame (laughs) 
Yeah, those were uh, some good times. Yeah, was uh, just getting articles to read, right? To save to Instapaper and then later I switched to Pocket uh, to support Mozilla. But now I'm, I don't know if you've heard of this. I think I mentioned it a couple months ago, the Artifact app. Did you mention it? If you did, I've already spaced it like an old man. It's basically, it just basically takes your interests and of course it's collecting data on what you actually read and like which articles you finish, which you don't. And it just generates you a feed and it's got like integration with the New York Times. You can just log in your New York Times subscription. Uh, it's got the information, which is something I subscribe to, although their integration sucks for a tech publication, guys. You should fix that. Yeah, especially for a premium product. Well, because it, they just pop you out through the browser, which is kind of lame. Of course. Of course. Cool. They got to show those ads, baby. It's got, you know, it's got some like schlockier places, but it, it's pretty good. And... I, you know what? It's you get to read the article on the benefits of insert controversial robust community uh, suggestion here without the flame war. True, that is nice. Yeah, you know, because I can't. Sometimes I can't avoid the comments. <laughs> oh, so you you, you got to be in a special mood yeah. to want to go into the comments. Reddit's even worse. Reddit. I, I gave up on Reddit. I was like, this is just like okay. You know, it's so funny though because there was a period of time when. Linux Action Show had a ginormous, for the time, subreddit. I remember. And it was a huge part of how people interacted with the show, how we got information into the show. It was quintessential to the workflow. Coda Radio had a subreddit. Still we, kind had a, of, we, we had a pretty active subreddit. Yeah, though. it was a big part of the show for a long time. And, they, and it's when I search for stuff, I often append Reddit to something if I want to get like some a nuanced take on something. Yeah, they're going to block that soon. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it is a, yeah, it is, I guess just sort of maybe social media fatigue or maybe, maybe it's just you and I, this is something I'm trying to wrap my head around because I'm also feeling it with Noster can't, even though I, I love the technology again, I can't really find myself drawn to it. Um, but let us know your thoughts on the Mastodon stall. Do you believe in it? Is it fake? Is it real? Um, because maybe you you and I are just getting old. Maybe it's like, um, well, Deckbot in the chat has a good point. It's just that the kids are on TikTok. Well, now that's what not, I was just going to say. We're not there. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is it's TikTok and like WhatsApp and that stuff. And, you know, I, if, if I don't get asked once a week, dad, can I set up a TikTok? You, no, <laughs> you know, like, and so what they do is they go on YouTube and they watch ripped off TikToks in the YouTube shorts. Wow. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. a thing. That's a thing. People just repost them over there. Doesn't Facebook have like a ghetto TikTok feature? I mean, they all do now, man. They all do. Oh, my God. I, I just, I I know we talked about this at length a couple of weeks ago. I just don't get it. Like, TikTok, is, it's it's one of those apps. Someone would have come to me and been like, I'll give you equity. And I'd be like, no, that's dumb, and regretted it deeply. It's got to be micro bursts of, like, dopamine or something as you swap, as you swipe between videos. It's, <laughs> it's literally weaponized video content. Nice. <laughs> Boost to gray. All right, we got some boosts in the show, and we'll start with a live boost that came in 29 minutes ago. Rotten Mood boosted in with 25,000 sets. Hey there, big guy. Thank you very much. Regarding the Apple headset question, I no longer have a Mac as my daily driver, but if I did, there's no way I'd buy the headset. The main and only reason is price. That price tag is too large for something like this. Plus, Tim's comments around who or may not be able to afford this has turned me off to Apple even more than I already was. Yeah, Tim's comments about, oh, we'll see who can afford and who can't, were a little tone deaf. Yeah, it seemed a little tone deaf. Agreed. Yeah. Um, they are framing this in all their documentation as kind of, they're comparing this to the first Mac and the Apple II that were very expensive. You know, like six grand for that setup, for like a nice Mac Plus setup with all the... Ext- external disk and a printer this is like what we what we were talking about uh last week right it's it's a it's a risk but if it happens to take off and you're there in the beginning that is just a huge advantage that's that's they're banking on people going for that and i think yeah a a limited set of you know well-to-do folks that can afford to experiment with that stuff and of course the apple hardcore Mm. let us know i like that that's a good hot take you know tim cook turn you off i want to hear other people's to give us your uh hot tech guy tech takes uh, boost them in and let us know why or why not if you'd be getting a headset. Dave Jones, the Pod Sage, comes in with two boosts. First, 21,112 sats. Moats don't help you if you can't turn a profit. 
That's just called being under siege. Yeah, I think OpenAI will turn a profit. I, I imagine just because saying you've integrated ChatGPT into your app is already a huge thing. So many apps have been updated to say ChatGPT integration for just weird, rando things. Have you seen this? Like my weather app. Carrot Weather has like chat integration now for chatting with the Carrot Weather thing. Uh, my terminal of choice right now, Warp, has it too now. <laughs> so weird. So weird. So it's, uh, you know, it's like saying it's machine learning or AI. It's like if you can just package up OpenAI's tech through their APIs and pay their subscription price and sell your product, I think it's going to sell itself. That's my theory, Dave, but let me know what you think. He also came in with another boost, making him our baller of the episode, 25,000 sats. Guys, it's almost never the language. It's the framework that makes things easy, hard, slow, or fast. The PHP code that runs the Podcast Index API is ancient, and it's a homegrown framework. But I know it, and it's fast and easy to modify on the fly. New stuff is Rust because, well, I've had the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so true. Like, if you build up your own homegrown framework over the years, oh, man, that's like, God, that's like a dream that you can just keep going to, that well you can keep going to over and over again. Mm, sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, all right. I'm not with you. All right. All right. <laughs> I don't know why. It just sounds really appealing to me. Uh, Scott comes in with a row of ducks responding to Reddit Goes Dark episode 522. Something has to be said for the simple stack that just works. Did an internship once where we had to build an environment for a CS summer camp the company was doing. We wanted to use all the fancy tools, but our manager gave us default Debian. HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and Python. It wasn't pretty, but we got it done in time. And at the end of the day, if the outcome matters, the stack comes second. Oh, I know. I know. I feel what like... What do we always say? Boring tools get the I know, job done. But I also feel like, not, not to go at you, Scott, but isn't this the same logic that has given us the plague of crappy Bluetooth stacks for... 20 years you know like when i see how solid the nintendo switch implementation is or like apple airpods and i think mm. you know these guys have done their own custom stack right they've got the driver they've got the bluetooth radio stack driver then they've got the software stack that's using the radio they control the whole thing plus the hardware receiving it like i wouldn't even believe the switch is using bluetooth it works so damn reliably and yet it is and same with a lot of you know the apple tech but I think most Bluetooth stacks are absolute cat litter boxes. Like well, the, they're the cheapest components, especially, right? especially the stuff built into the cars for some reason. Ugh, yes. So I feel like, you know, the stack doesn't matter as long as you should. I think that it does matter for certain jobs. I think if you're building a web app to spit out some results on the back end, yeah, you're right. If you're running a Python script or a PHP command line thing to produce a result that you're then displaying, as long as it works, it works. So I agree, Scott, but I just wonder where you draw that line. The gig comes in with 2,000 sats, says, great show, guys. Get on Noster. Well, who's over there? What's going on on Noster? I want to know what's going on before I go get all involved. But I don't even know how to, like, take a peek. You know, it's... It sounds like a villain from the next God of War game. That's true. Some people call it Notester. Or, uh, yeah, it's notes and other things through relays, right? That's the whole thing. So oh. social media <laughs> is one of the things. Like, I, I've talked about it a little bit before. They're going to do, like, essentially, it's a simple relay system and you subscribe and you can through that you know you could be the payload could be a social media app it could be a craigslist it could be an ebay but it's distributed through all these relays it's kind of a neat idea and the idea is some sort of truly distributed system that maybe is a little leaner and meaner than mastodon but i, I don't know i'd love to get a, like a clear picture on what the value is over there like sometimes you get some really sharp people that adopt these platforms and it's worth going over there just to see what they're nostering about or whatever they call it so the gig if you have any insights please share hey i, I hope none of the content is too nasty oh, yes oh, oh they should have something Nailed called it. the nasty <laughs> oh my god hunnigan came in with a hang loose boost five thousand sats it's our last boost of the episode if I missed your boost, I pulled these manually this week because Mr. West Payne is still traveling and he's our script master. So just let me know and I'll try to do a make good. But we love the support. And of course, you can boost in. I think getting Albie is the easiest way because then you can keep your podcast app. Get You top it off and you head over to the podcast index. 
Though, if you're ready to try something new, the Podverse app has had some really great updates recently. Just pushed out a brand new update for Android cross-platform GPL. You can play on one device, finish on the web, that kind of stuff. Does clips, does boosts. And also Fountain FM is just going from strength to strength to strength. They're really honing in on what makes the app good. Those are some great examples. Newpodcastapps.com for all the new apps. If you're ready to change it up and try it out. But if you're not, get Albie.com and then Podcast Index. Boost in with your thoughts. And of course, a huge thank you to our members. Not only do you get that fancy coderly, but you can get that ad-free version of the show, should you so choose, which is always nice. And you support us every single month over at coderqa.co. Automatically, you can just set it and not worry about it. And you can support all the shows over at jupiter.party and get all the shows ad-free. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send the good people before we get out of here? Yeah, if you need some dev work done, hit me up at alice.dev or some good old automation stuff. And also, check out Babylon 5. I've been enjoying it. Oh, I've always had, I've, I've said this before, but I've always had our time getting past the first season. How far are you? I'm just about done with the first season. You know what? You have to be in a very calm frame of mind. Okay. And love the cheesy, like, who's the bad guy when they, like, you can tell where there was supposed to be a commercial break, right? Yeah. So they cut and do, like, the dramatic music. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. I can get in on that actually. It's it's pretty good. It's it's very nineties. You know, maybe maybe one day I'll be watching it my Apple Vision Pro on a huge screen. Right? I feel like that would be a horrible experience actually because <laughs> the graphics. It's it's yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, you're probably right. You probably shouldn't zoom it up too much. <laughs> All right, well, uh, you can find me on Matrix if you'd like to join our Matrix instance. Details at jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/matrix, and if you want to get right into the coder chat room. We have a uh, redirect at coder.show slash matrix. It'll take you right there. Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 524. Of course, you'll find our contact form, our RSS feeds, and all that. And if you want the ultimate experience, totally raw and uncensored with all the pre-show, join us every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv, where we stream it using PeerTube, and we also put it up on the YouTubes and whatnots. And then we keep an archive version on the PeerTubes, and we pull it off commercial platforms because we get in trouble generally those bots they come after us it's a thing for us how do we survive silence it's always the damn (laughs) silence and my kids are like dad you should do more youtube i'm like oh no oh young child young child all right well thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the coda radio program and i hope to see you right back here next week